Welcome back to the Lou Perez podcast. My name is Lou Perez, and I'm happy to report that right now you can order my book. That's right. I wrote a book. It's called That Joke Isn't Funny Anymore on the Death and Rebirth of Comedy. Follow the link in the description or head over to Amazon and search for Lou Perez. That joke isn't funny anymore. If you want other options on how you can buy my book, please sign up for my newsletter at theluperez.com. You could also join my community at theluperez.locals.com. And if you haven't already, please subscribe to the podcast. And if you could leave a five-star review, that would be amazing. Whether you're a long-time listener or first-time, five-star reviews are lovely. If you're looking for other ways you can support me, you could do so by supporting my sponsors. If you're into CBD products, please check out PalomaVerdeCBD.com. Use promo code Lou to get 25% off purchases over $75. And if you like cold brew, check out Black Organic Cold Brew at www.blvckbrew.com and use promo code Lou for free shipping. All right, let's go. I'm very happy to be joined by the voice of artist George Alexopoulos. You might know him as Prime 85 on Instagram. Uh, George, uh, thank you very much for, uh, for joining me. Uh, for, those of you, for those people who are just listening or those who are, who are looking at the video, we've had some technical difficulties, but um, George has uh, given me the permission to share some of, his, uh, some of his comic strips, if not some, then all of them. So uh, for any of you who are lucky enough to be watching this on YouTube or Rumble or wherever, you're gonna be able to uh, check out uh, George's art. And for those of you who are just listening, head over to Instagram uh, where you can listen to this while uh, going through G Prime 85's account. Um, so George, thank you so much for joining me, man. <laughs> it's my pleasure, Lou. Thank you for the invite. Yeah. Um, so uh, right, right off the bat, um, uh, you know, I, I'm from I'm from Queens, New York, originally. Now I live in Jersey. Oh, cool. um, I had family in Astoria. You know, I was going to I was going to say because oh, yeah. <laughs> George Alexopoulos, uh, um, it's a very Greek name. And uh, it, it seems like I don't meet that many Greeks uh, mm. anymore. Like it, it, I feel like the Greek community is is kind of. I don't know. It's kind of small and just, it's either during Queens or I never meet any Greeks. So. Mm. You know, it's funny too, growing up, I didn't know a lot of Greeks either. And I never uh, really understood why until years later. And uh, I learned more about my family's like migration history and everything. And what happened, uh, the short version is they were Protestant Greeks. And, Protestant uh, Greeks. Yes. So what wow. we would call in America, just a basic Protestant evangelical uh, background sort of thing. But in Greece, around the time when they migrated uh, in the 60s, let's say, uh, they were considered by the Orthodox Greeks as like borderline cultists, you know, mm -hmm. like there's it, Greeks now are super Orthodox. Right. Um, but when we came here, I don't know if it was my family just didn't want to mingle with Greek Orthodox people. So I didn't know uh, many Greeks at all. Um, so I grew up just as a basic American kid. Uh, and then they spoke Greek at home. Um, but then occasionally, like we mentioned, like I would go to Astoria and stuff mm -hmm. and I had some family there and then they migrated out of New York city around nineties. I want to say, did, uh, did you do any, um, did you go to Greek school? I guess. Uh, no, uh, cause that would have been tied to, uh, 
Greek Orthodox culture, I guess. And mm-hmm. because I, I never got the full story, but I get the feeling that they were treated badly, uh, Protestants over there. So they kind of just don't talk to each other. Yeah. Or maybe they treated each other badly would be more fair to say. Because, you know, like in Ireland, they were like fighting to the death. Yeah. But I've, ne- I've never heard of, of, of Greeks being anything other than, than uh, Greek Orthodox. That's mm. so wild. Um, yeah, it seemed it's it was surprising to me, and uh, I never knew many Greeks growing up, like I mentioned, and uh, I, I never knew why. But that must be the reason why, because now I can go to any Greek Orthodox church and just get to know people and right. chat it up, whatever. Uh, yeah, I'm agnostic, so I it doesn't matter to me who I talk to. You know, I, it's fun to talk to people in like a language I kind of am losing, so I want to mm-hmm. refresh myself. Yeah, my uh, my cousin uh, got married a few months ago, and uh, his wife is Greek, so they had a. Uh, oh. Uh, a Greek wedding. And it was the first, I think it was the first time I'd ever been inside a Greek church. And I, I don't know if, if all the Greek, uh, all the uh, uh, Greek Orthodox churches are, are the, are the same. Uh, but there was a lot of, a lot of art on the walls, like, uh, like yeah. even more than I'm used to seeing it. Um, I grew up a uh, Roman Catholic. So mm-hmm. even more than I was used to seeing uh, on that front um, as a, as an artist, uh, do you are you are you trained in the arts or is this something that um you know you, you picked up on on your own? Hmm. You know, I I don't know if I was specifically encouraged. Like you mentioned, churches being well mm-hmm. decorated and everything. I've always been attracted to beautiful things like architecture and painting and stuff. But I think most people are. I mean, cartoons, right. video games, anything related to art just made me happy, and I wanted to draw because it was fun. Uh, so growing up. I guess in elementary school and all that stuff, I was just an average kid who liked drawing and I just never stopped doing it. And uh, by, by the end of high school, I would say I started taking it seriously because you have to choose your vocation. Mm-hmm. So they say, and uh, I said, well, there's one thing I like doing more than anything, uh, drawing and stuff. And I don't like anything else so, and I'm not good at anything else. Uh, so that's what I pursued. I don't know if I had any special uh, encouragement. Actually, no, I, I was discouraged by my family to draw because none of them could see a career path in it, mm. which is unfortunate because I had friends who went on to like the games industry. And one of my old friends from high school is like a multimillionaire now working for like, I, I guess I won't say out of respect, but like big companies. And he he knew to go to a school in like Washington for game development. And I should have done that. but. Uh, my path was different. What are you going to do? Yeah, I have um, uh, an old friend who uh, he uh, we did comedy together in college. He was in a master's program, so I was a part of his uh, his uh, sketch comedy and improv troupe. And uh, he was uh, you know getting his master's and I think uh, dramatic writing. Mm-hmm. And him and a few other people uh, who were in his program they made the the leap to uh, game development. Um, and I guess that was, you know, it was probably, you know, we're getting close to like 20 years ago. So I think that's it, maybe that that was when like sort of games started really taking on uh, a lot more narrative. Um, and uh, and there wasn't a clear career path to it either. Right. I mean, yeah. there, there are some schools now, uh, more schools now than 20 years ago. Um, but you would just you would be in programming or something and then fall into game development. There weren't a lot, especially here in the States. A lot of games were being made in Japan, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but it, but that's that's the unfortunate thing. I graduated high school in 03. So I, you know, all I had was my guidance counselor to ask, hey, can I go to a game school? Do those 
did those exist? And he's like, yeah, there's one, but you would have to borrow a, a ton of money and my family didn't have any. So mm-hmm. it's like, oh, here's this other school in New York. How about you commute and go do art instead? I'm like, uh, okay. Yeah. And then I dropped out. <laughs> so, <laughs> which, which school? Uh, a school of visual arts. SVA. Okay. Yes. I went for a cartooning major, whatever that is. And uh, they, they, you know, they did the foundation year and stuff. And I was pissed off that all these animation kids immediately have their own curriculum. Uh, mm. Like from year one to year four, there's no foundation stuff. You're just thrown into animation. Like, why can't I do that? Why do I have to take math and science? <laughs> I was pissed off. Oh, really? Wow. So I ended so they, up dropping yeah. out for multiple reasons, but that was one of them. Yeah. Did, um, uh, when I think about, uh, uh cartoonists or, um, and what, what, what do you like to be called? Cause, um, I, I don't want to throw, you know, uh, monikers out there and you're like, <laughs> Oh, this fucking guy's calling me this. No, so, no, no. Yeah. I don't want to come off as pretentious or anything like that. Um, I, I call myself whatever. I tend to not say I'm an artist because I'm okay. not, uh, I'm not like uh, it, it, that word has so much dignity and most of what I do is just shit posting, you know? So I think there's a problem with, with the, the, the dignity in, in the arts. I think that, I think that over the, over the years, there's um, been such a separation between, you know, quote unquote artists and the, and the people and I think a lot of arts are actually dying because of that. Like my, um, oh, I was just going to say, like my my wife is a, uh, she went to school for dance, um, and she's uh, was a, a dancer when she graduated. She was in professional um, uh, dance companies. Uh, she is choreographed and all that, cool. and she she's taken me to some just amazing, amazing performances. And then you look around, and it's like all these empty seats. And I think a big reason why is because a lot of people either view you know the arts like dance is like ooh, that's a little highbrow or the people involved in it they see themselves as sort of like you know better than everyone else rather than like no we need to we need to get people involved we need to you know uh i don't even want to say lower ourselves or lower our standards but without people without patrons the arts are gonna gonna die yeah because back in the old old days an artist say a, a painter or something or even dancers and stuff uh, musicians your patrons would be people like kings and like really really rich people and and by by osmosis you know the arts would then be uh what's the word i'm looking for disseminated against i guess maybe you're not like the highest tier musician but you might be able to play in public theaters because people mm-hmm. were interested in what the aristocrats were doing um, and it's a shame with what you described with dance and stuff, but I, it, it does make perfect sense to me. On one hand, arts, those of us who devote our lives to art, it's almost like our religion. So of course we see it as a very high thing, but also we have to convince, um, see, I can't think of a non-patronizing word, the common person, right. but I don't mean commoner as like a, a negative, but just people who aren't so interested in art, but might be interested in say my strips are um, they're supposed, they're designed to be munched on within five seconds. And I have to spend hours drawing it so that it like even color selection, everything, every word I choose. And I'm sure you can agree with comedy. It's almost about what you don't say as much as what you do say Mm -hmm. and trimming every little word. And it's designed to make it as snackable as possible so that I'm scrolling on Twitter, whatever, and I'm on Twitter because that's where the people are. They're not going to come to me. 
Right. So we as performers, as artists, have to go to where the people are and then hopefully present some of our, hey, this, here's a whole menu of things you can get from me. Uh, maybe some of our things are more popular than others. But hey, if you like my shit posts, maybe you might consider buying one of my serious books that I actually try on. <laughs> <laughs> so it's it's a damn shame because what you describe is like, I'm sure for your wife, it's been her lifelong passion decades of practice and discipline and just to get people interested in seeing it is like it's such a struggle to eat it's because that's marketing and business that's not the discipline yeah and and also it's it uh, when it comes to dancers i mean dancers are athletes you know so yeah so all athletes have a shelf life as well so you know you have poor body yeah yeah so, you know, so it's, it's one of those arts where it really, you know, there, there is a, uh, an, um, an end point, you know, that you're constantly, you know, sort of dancing towards. Um, whereas, you know, fortunately for, you know, the, the visual arts and then also with writing, you know, you could keep, you could keep doing it until, you know, someone fucks up your hands or, or something goes wrong with your brain, mm-hmm. I guess, you know, yeah. um, when, um, uh, when I think about, you know, cartoons, uh, I guess one of the big artists that comes to mind is R. Crumb. Um, mm-hmm. oh, are you, uh, you're a fan of, of R. Crumb? Or? Uh, I'm familiar. familiar. You know, I have strong feelings about him, put it this way. Okay. Uh, I've seen his stuff. Um, what, what's the word I would use? I, I look at it with a mixture of horror and mm. respect. How's that? Yeah. Yeah, it's definitely... I'm sorry. His underground comics movement is similar to what I'm doing and other people like me are doing now where we can't get published traditionally. So we have to publish our own books and our online audience is similar to the underground comics of say the seventies. Got it. Yeah. A lot of crumb stuff is, you know, pretty grotesque. I guess if you're, uh, yeah. Uh, if you're did you see that documentary? Oh yeah. Yeah. I saw that years ago with, yeah. um, about, about him and also <laughs> him and his, his family. Yeah super weird brothers so disturbing um, yeah uh, for for those of you who haven't seen i think it's called crumb and yeah. uh, terry's wygoff uh directed i think oh and it was is terry a, a like a cartoonist too or, or uh, just no a... he he made him did he make ghost world uh, you know it's been so many years but yeah he's he's in there with like artsy fartsy did he work on american splendor no i'm sorry to interrupt yeah but it's no, no, movie. all good. <laughs> it is yeah. a documentary. Yes. I, you know, the one thing, one thing that that always stands out to me whenever I think about that documentary is the is the one scene where they're interviewing one of his one of his brothers, and the brother is sitting uh, on the floor, and he's um, slowly eating or yes. swallowing. I think like about that shoelaces. Like a shoelace or, a or, or like a rag tied into knots or something. Something, yeah, it, it, it's something, uh, yeah, something you normally wouldn't be swallowing or, or be trying to swallow. And I guess it was some way of him to kind of. It's like a hundred feet long too. Yeah, it's 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 kind of like the, I guess the equivalent of like a, a plumber's snake uh, to like snake out the pipes. Um, and I, I guess the idea is he's going to swallow this thing. And then eventually it's going to work its way through his small intestines and large intestines come out of his ass and he's going to pull it out. Yeah. I, is that what I think? It, I mean, it's been years <laughs> and it's one of those films that I can't watch again because it was so horrifying. 
Mm. Uh, that was one of the reasons, but I think there was some kind of monkish meditation thing yeah. tied to why he did that. But he was into like new age stuff and that he wanted to cleanse himself. Yeah. And I thought one of the f- most fascinating things about the film and one of the most horrifying is that all the brothers had some kind of abuse problem when they were kids. Mm. And we can get into that if you want. Yeah, but, yeah. But they all were working it out in their own way. And one of the brothers turned to like new age medicine and stuff. The other brother just fell into hyper depression and shot himself right. and possibly abused kids or something. And then R. Crumb became an artist. And if you look at his art, you can see into his subconscious right. and the kind of ways he tried to cope with horrifying things that must have happened to all of them. And like, for instance, you can tell with R. Crumb, he's got like serious women issues uh, my yeah. guess would be psychologically, like their mom did something to them. Yeah, he, I, I, he has a thing for like sort of Amazonian yeah. big women with thick thighs and sure. asses and, and all that. And like women that he can latch onto like a boy. Mm, yeah, and kind of, and they can kind of carry him around. I think what sometimes literally, yeah. So you know, art is a healthy way to express that, I suppose. And I don't judge him for that stuff. But I look at a lot of his work, and I'm like, wow, that him and his brothers. Like when you see the documentary, it's like these guys were seriously worked on something happened. Yeah. And, uh, but, but I think art is a, an amazing way to explore that stuff in a safe way. And you can learn about humanity through, I don't know, being an artist. It's like, you can work out the images coming out of your head. And a lot of the times it's like, wow, I didn't even know that was there. Right. So he's, yeah. he's an important artist. I don't like the things he makes a lot of the time, but that's art too. And I respect that. Yeah. Well, you know, uh, the way that you described um, he and his brothers, I guess, finding a way to uh, deal with their own trauma. Um, I got turned on to your stuff uh, by a, a friend of mine who was just basically, he texted me. He's like, you got to, you got to check this guy's stuff out. And wow. and I went and I checked and, and I, I checked it out and it was sort of the cool thing about Instagram, it's, 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 it's an endless scroll, but also you have so much work that it's just kind of like endless um, you know, watching your stuff, you know, being able to check your stuff out. And it, it seems like a lot of the political, uh, cartooning that, that you're doing, the political strips, it's sort of, um, dealing with, uh, political strife and trauma that we're kind of going through as a, mm-hmm. as a country. If I'm, if I'm getting that wrong or, you know, just let me know. That's fair. I, I say it's current events, but I also mm-hmm. can't hide my, uh, the direction I'm aiming at is from the center right towards the left. Mm -hmm. Um, So I am biased somewhat, but that doesn't necessarily mean I'm a fan of like the super right either. Right. Uh, But around the time when I was drawing these strips, um, it's sort of like I'm, I'm poking at the people who I think are overstepping their bounds the most, put it that way. Yeah. And and when did, uh, when did you start? Were you always doing political stuff or what was there a moment when it started for you? Um, well, there was a point where it took off more than my other stuff. So I, I would describe my stuff more as current events okay. than political. It just happens that political stuff is what I hear about the most in the news these days. Um, so two, three years ago, uh, I've always been drawing four panel strips just for fun, like peanuts, Calvin and Hobbes, that sort of thing. And I've also been drawing indie comics, uh, but those never really took off. Maybe I had a couple thousand people if I was lucky at the time. And then I drew a bunch of four panel strips and a lot of people were telling me, hey, draw more of these. This is good. 
So I was like, oh, okay, I'm trying to learn how to use color and Photoshop and stuff. And I'm like, oh, I'll just keep practicing. I'll keep making my four panel strips. And uh, a couple of them got more popular than others. And there was one that really exploded, which was um, Joe Biden sucking the black out of a woman. And he said, uh, if you don't vote for me, you ain't black, something like that. Oh, wow. And so, you know, he sucks it, sucks it out of her like magic or whatever. And she's, you know, falls on the ground and she passes out, something like that. And that got shared around like crazy. But I had already had a bad reputation online because of this Reddit bullshit that happened. And uh, they decided I was alt-right at the time. Uh-huh. So a lot of people were sharing around that comic. And then other people like Marxy types were saying, hey, don't share this. This guy's a white supremacist or something like that. So at the same time, I was growing. And He's a Protestant Greek. Don't share this. <laughs> I always joke like I am supreme, but that doesn't mean other people are. You know, right. just yeah, whatever. I, it's stupid. But uh, yeah, so I was. My profile was raised more and more uh, because of the four panel stuff, and uh, a lot of online drama. People calling you names and stuff like that. And I just decided, look, this is what people are responding to. It's not the only thing I want to do, but. I've been struggling my whole career to get noticed. And if this is what people want right now, fine. And maybe in a few years, if people lose interest, I'll do something else. Well, well there's something to uh, also, you know, being comfortable with what the people want and being comfortable delivering on that. Yeah. You know, so at, at no point, um, you know, at no point do you feel like you're oh, I'm selling out or I'm giving in or it's like, no, this is, the, you're doing what you want to do and you found an audience. So that, you know, That's that fair. must make it, um, but you know, a lot more, uh, uh, easier, easier to deal with, uh, you know, with the, with the Biden thing, uh, it, it's so funny how, uh, the, you know, the way that you described, uh, you know, that strip, uh, I mean, Biden said it, Biden said, you know, and I'm, I'm I think I'm, I'm paraphrasing here, but it's like, if you don't vote for me, you're not black. You ain't you know? black. You ain't black. <laughs> <laughs> so it's sort of it, look as a as a comedian, right? If you were to take uh, uh, a comedian, I'm a you know whatever a libertarian uh, comedian, conservative in some respects, and uh, so if if you if you give me that this thing that actually happened, and then you take a a lefty comedian, a progressive comedian, you know, and all that, and it's like, what are you going to do with that material? You know, it's like mm-hmm. you have to engage that material. And I think the way that, you know, the way that, that you engage with it uh, makes a lot of sense. And it's also pretty hilarious. A lot of comedy, and I'm sure you're uh, an expert on this. Like, I'm just kind of on the side. But, like, a lot of comedy comes from the position of the underdog, I think. And the absurd and horror and turning it into, I, I've always suspected, like, in, a, in the brain circuits, horror and humor and even sadness, they're all tied together so closely that almost sometimes when people are shocked, they don't know whether to cry or be sad or something. Like another another strip that got a lot of traction was the Dancing Nurses one, where uh, a lady is looking through a glass at her father and he's got COVID or something. And she's like, my only regret is that I didn't get to hold your hand one more time. And it's very sad. Mm-hmm. And then the fourth panel is a surprise where the doctors are dancing behind her. So it takes this horrifying, really sad situation. And people emailed me or contacted me afterwards saying, you know, that happened with me and my grandpa or something. But it was really cathartic for them to read that strip, they said. So there's some service that's being rendered there that I don't fully understand. Uh, 
But when we say like leftist comedians, like if you look at SNL and they're just like poking fun at the most stupid trite stuff that there's no edge to it at all. There's no risk. Yeah. And I don't see that as funny. And most people don't too, because they are, in my opinion, on top already. They're not the underdogs. I think conservatives are the underdogs and they may not be for much longer, actually. Mm-hmm. Um, I think, yeah, I think a lot of, a lot of uh, the underdog stuff or, or I guess in comedy you hear a lot of like punching up or, or punching yeah, down. Yeah. Uh, you know, a lot of it is, is definitely situational you know, between, you know, who's punching up, who's punching down. Um, and, uh, you know, so you, you could, you could, you know, there are people out there who sincerely want you to believe that the president of the United States, that you're punching down at him, you know, it's like, no, no, he's the most, it's the most, he's the most powerful man in the world. What do you, what do you, uh, you know, what are you talking about? Um, I think they're subconsciously, they know we are punching down though. Yeah, like, I said he's yeah. just an old man. Don't be mean to him. And I'm like, listen to me. He can kill millions of people in a second. Sure. He's asleep at the wheel. And I think about this all the time. If you don't want me to mock the most powerful man in the world, get him, replace him with someone who knows what they're doing. Mm-hmm. I don't want to even notice the president. Right. Frankly. Like I'd rather make fun of just like jerks on the street or myself. <laughs> Yeah. Uh, but I'm, I get, for me, it's a source of horror to think like, this is the guy you picked of all of your choices. I, yeah, I, I don't I, mean I, to get into it, but no, 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 it's cool. I've, uh, there, there were, there have been plenty of times when I'm like, oh, I didn't want the presidency <laughs> to end like this. You know, this isn't what I had in mind, you know, um, there, there, you know, it gets to a point sometimes where, uh, he's so incoherent. And that 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 it is difficult to watch. It's it's uh it's hard for me to watch. And to, talking about um, SNL, um, the uh, comedian who does uh, a new cast member uh, who's doing comedy, uh, who's doing uh, the Biden impression. Now he, he does a fantastic job doing uh, doing Biden. Um, he also does a wonderful job on uh, doing Trump, at least vocally. You know, uh, he he's got his voice down uh, wonderfully. But when it comes to the writing, this the one thing that I've noticed anytime they do like the cold opens with Biden is that they never latch on to the obvious, which is you know Biden's uh, you know incoherence, his you know tripping up on things. They've decided to to go this this route where it's like. What if Joe Biden was making pop culture references? So the last cold open I saw, it was all about Spider-Man. And it's like, look, you know, you do the, the voice is wonderful. You, you know, you, you got him down, but that just, it, it, it just, it just doesn't make sense together. You know? Um, well, I'm sure what's happening in these writers rooms and what happens in a lot of writers rooms, especially with the left is they are tying their hands behind their back. And they're not telling real comedy because real comedy is just on the edge of like, holy shit, I can't believe they said that. That That's what old SNL used to do, where if you look at Norm MacDonald, the things he would say, oh. even in front of like Bill Clinton, when he's doing uh, like a roast or whatever, it's like, of course he got fired. But that's comedy is how much can you get away with without getting booted off like Instagram or something? Yeah. Uh, real comedy, if they really wanted it on SNL to go after Biden, it's like, we know what kind of jokes they should tell, mm-hmm. but they don't have the balls because they're going to get punished. 
because they, and this is the problem with any kind of censorship in comedy or performances or art in general, art is supposed to be about truth and uncomfortable truth, perhaps like we talked about our crumb back in the seventies, especially, or the sixties, the kinds of things he would draw. What, what was the name of this cat character? Not Felix. Oh, uh, Fritz. Fritz. Yeah. You know, he would draw like cat characters, like in sexual situations. Huge cocks, huge cocks right. and balls. And he would just, too. it would be underground printed. And there was a lot of a uh, culture of counterculture. And this is the, oh, you can't show this. It's under the shelf. You know, you have to ask for it. But that's what made it cool back then. Mm-hmm. And a lot of comedy has this kind of, this nature of, uh, you can't say it in public spaces because it's too edgy. But that's what makes it good. So a lot of mainstream comedy is too safe. It's too polished and uh, there's no, that's the problem with edginess is you have to risk, you have to risk getting canceled almost. I think um, I, I want to give a shout out to uh, comedian JL Coven, who um, he blew up, uh, I guess going back a couple of years now with his Donald Trump impression. And I think he's the absolute, best who does it not only is is the um uh the voice and the inflection just dead on trump but the subject matter like when jl riffs he's really getting it's funny because he can't stand trump but he's like so connected to him in some way where it feels like he really has like a part of trump's brain and he's able to create this stuff and um I mean, when I would see like SNL bringing on Alec Baldwin, uh, you know, to do what I think was one of the worst fucking Trump impressions <laughs> ever. And then, you know, then watching what JL was doing where JL would go, would do like, you know, an hour long podcast as Trump, you know, riffing on everything that, that was, that was happening. And to the point where he has Trump supporters sharing his shit mm-hmm. and then and then being upset when they find out that he, that it's not actually Trump who, uh, who is saying this stuff. Um, so it was, it, it, he's, he's done just, I think just like an, an amazing job. And, and it's funny. Cause when you, when you have like these, uh, these people, uh, you know, comedians like JL, who's not on a, a, a TV show, he's not on a major show, he's online. Um, it's almost like, Hey, you know, SNL, if you're gonna, uh, I know they've, they've been accused of stealing jokes before. It's like, at least steal this dude's whole shtick. <laughs> You know, because his shit is working, man. And he's doing it. And like he's hit and then uh, he was and he continues to hit Trump from angles that, you know, the you know, late night comedy can't hit him from, you know, it's unique and edgy and and all that. So, I, you know, like high praise uh, um, for, you know, JL and the others who are able to um, to do stuff like that. Yeah, that reminds me of uh, in any art, uh, it's possible to become too successful and then you're not willing to take risks anymore and you start oh, I can't, losing. I can't wait to get there, man. I love, <laughs> I love to get there. Well, it's, it's a double-edged sword, I guess, because in the writing rooms at SNL, I'm sure people climb tooth and claw and fight to get in there. And it's like now all the things that got you in, you can't do anymore. Yeah. I feel like yeah, the, what I'm, where my career is right now, what I'm risking is uh, like, oh, is this one going to upset my wife? And so far, like everything I've done, it's been really, uh, you know, we haven't had any fights over my material, which is, and that's, you know, we're going on like eight years of being together and that's eight years of 
you know, me being on Twitter and Facebook and making videos and doing stand up. So that's a so that's a good thing. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I, I understand that fully. Yes. Yeah. Uh, it, yeah. Go on. I'm sorry. Oh yeah. No. So um, you know, speaking of of censorship, <laughs> um, if people uh, you know, go to uh, uh, G Prime eighty five and IG and scroll back, uh, there was a. There was a moment when like, at least one of your uh, one of your strips was taken down, right? Uh, two, two so of far. Them. Uh, which ones? Which ones were they? And are they available elsewhere? Uh, they must be available on. Well, Twitter is a swamp. I don't know how you could find those. Um, <laughs> I have print versions of my comics, so people could order the books. Archive-wise, I guess I should be on other websites, but I focus on IG and Twitter right now. Uh, mm-hmm. The two strips that were canceled or pulled down was one I drew. All right. This is, it's kind of inside baseball. There it's was, the, a, and, and, I, and I have to say my, my, my apologies too, because this is sort of like, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm asking a visual artist <laughs> to describe what he drew. I'm, it, it, that's even worse than people asking a comedian to tell a joke. So my apologies right off, right off the bat. I can look for it somewhere in my folders and then screen share. Um, give me two seconds. Sure. Uh, you know what though? I don't even know if you can show it. Oh, it might be, ooh, uh, it might be taken down. Elmo. Yeah, it was an Elmo. It was an Elmo. Ooh, <laughs> I think I remember. Uh, do I want to risk doing this? Um, no, I don't want to risk your thing, but I'll describe it. So the first panel, all right. The reason I drew this was because on Sesame street, a dad and his son, a black dad and his son were sitting on a bench and they said, uh, the boy, no, Elmo said to the boy, Hey, why is your skin black? And then the dad comes and he's like, well, Things on the outside, like our skin color, hair texture, our noses, mouths, and eye color, make us who we are. And many people call this race. And so instead of the black father and son, I replaced it with a German kid and Hitler. And I said, hey, isn't it funny that you can replace those exact words with, you know, supposedly... (laughs) the worst?" And I agree. You don't want that person saying these words. And I'm like, wait a second. Maybe maybe we need to examine what we're saying anyway. So the joke was, hey, punchline Hitler. And so on Instagram, you can't even draw, upload a drawing of him. When it's saying Hitler bad, that's the punchline. I can't even upload that comic. Wow. And then they were – I'm convinced someone was going through my archives and was looking for something to report. And mm. so the other thing that got reported was a strip where – it was a car that ran over a whole bunch of people uh, last month, two months ago. Yeah. Was that in the w- Waukesha? Uh, right. Wisconsin. Right. Yeah. And um, <clears throat> the whole thing in their news was they were saying that the car did it, not a person. Right. Right. And so a reporter was reading the news and he's like, don't make me say it. I don't want to say it like the name of the person. So instead he put a gun in his mouth and that was the punchline. And Instagram cannot allow, uh, in, you know, images of people inflicting self-harm. Self. Mm-hmm. Right. So I was reported for that. And my revenge for that was, well, I don't want to talk too much about it. Uh, th- my revenge for s- the self-harm was, okay, well, here's a person who cut off their tits, became a man, and took off a chunk of their thigh and turned it into a giant cock, trans person. 
Yeah, and if I know. you've seen the surgery, it is, in my opinion, self-harm. It's horrifying. And oh, but that's okay. I I didn't get reported for that one. So that's not self-harm. But a guy, a cartoon guy putting a gun in his mouth is self-harm. So Instagram, I'm sure my time is limited on Instagram. But wow. the the thing that pisses me off is the obvious double standard, but who's going to complain about that? No one's going to feel sorry for me about that one. But two is it's a comic. It's a drawing. And I guess that counts as an image, a depiction of something that they, like it's dangerous. So yeah. anyway, yeah, those were the two comics that almost got me busted. I'm sure it's going to happen one of these days. Yeah. So. You, yeah. You wonder, um, yeah, just what constitutes uh self-harm. I, I, uh, had a, a previous guest, um, a journalist and, and a writer, Steve Salerno on, and uh, Steve is currently in Twitter jail uh, because uh, according to, to Steve, there was a, um, a natural disaster hit uh, Tonga and uh, he was, uh, you know, trying to, I guess, raise awareness and, and give money to help the people of Tonga and a, um, I guess, would it be a Tonganese woman on Twitter took umbrage with Steve being, uh, being white or, uh, Italian. Uh, I, mean, I guess they're, they're all white, you know? So, uh, and, um, so that uh, accused them of having like, you know, a white savior complex or something like that. And then Steve basically told her the equivalent of go jump in a lake. Uh, he said, why don't you go jump in a volcano? And, uh, oh, and, and apparently that's brutal. Yeah. Could jump in a volcano, and apparently, uh, Twitter deemed that, uh, you know, in, uh, instigating, you know, or or uh, depicting or telling someone, you know, to 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 commit self, not life to commit yeah, yeah, to commit self harm. Uh, so he's in he's in Twitter jail, and um, yeah. he refuses to um, delete uh, to, it. Yeah, he refuses to delete it. It's silly. Um, it's uh, you know, uh, <laughs> it, it's a it's a it's a you know an idiom, a term of phrase. It's a it's a it's a nicer way to say I think to say uh, go fuck yourself. Uh, you know, go, go jump suck in eggs. A, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> go up your nose with a rubber hose. Um, you know, it's telling someone to go jump in a volcano. And, and the question I had for him is like, does this woman live near a volcano? Is this even a possibility? <laughs> um, but but it it's sort of you get into these really these silly, silly situations where suddenly you're having a, you're having a discussion about whether or not uh, a, you know, a four panel comic is promoting self-harm. Yeah. Yeah. And, but you see, I, I have no choice and I'm sure uh, many people in our related disciplines would agree. We have to get extra clever now to hide the humor so that Mm -hmm. our people can see the humor but it also bypasses immediate scrutiny. Mm-hmm. So sometimes you've got a kind of, I don't know if I have to draw, there was some thing about um, people with a uterus. No people with a, no folks with a vulva ah. instead of saying woman. Right. And so it's like, okay, I'll just draw a vulva walking around uh, talking about like, Hey, you know, we're not just sexual objects or something like that. Right. I was like, okay, well, I, I can draw that, but then it's like, do I draw a giant dick walking around? And I want to draw that. It would draw, be very funny. I actually draw. drew a strip. <laughs> the one time I censored myself last year was I had uh, tits versus dicks. 
in like a war and the dicks like hit the boobs so hard that they flew into space. Um, and then I was like, oh, this is going to be the most inappropriate thing ever. It's going to be so funny. There's all kinds of like different sized dicks and they're all fighting and dying in each other's arms. And it's hilarious. And I'm like, there's no way I'm going to get away with this. There's no way. So I stopped in the middle of it and I feel bad about that. You know, I think you might have your, uh, oh, I, I don't know if there's an, uh, what's it, the NFT um, <laughs> of, you know, these dicks battling a uh, giant boob. Oh, so it was so fun. And then there's a mothership that's a giant vagina and it would have been amazing but like, <laughs> you were very i gotta i gotta say uh very on the nose uh right there not oh. not subtle whatsoever there um do you know it's Phillip, great do you know philip roth uh um, the uh the novelist he's no longer with us but uh no. uh one of the books that, books that he has a very slim book it's called the breast and um <laughs> and it's i i believe it's like a man wakes up to find that he's been turned into a breast it's sort of like like a Kafka, a Kafka thing, except instead of a a, a vermin or a roach or beetle, okay. or whatever, uh, he's been turned into a breast. I don't. I, I read it. I don't. I don't remember it. Um, but I, I do remember that uh, that aspect. Of it. Um, that sounds awesome. Can, can you tell us about um, breasts? You, you, can you tell us about what do they feel like? Like oh uh, bags of sand. Uh, yeah, forty year old version uh, <laughs> referenced right there. I'm I'm turning forty in in uh in February. I think probably around the time this uh, uh this episode comes out, I, I will either be turning forty or I will already be forty. And I got to tell you, I got to be honest, I've touched some boobies in my day. What? Yeah, yeah, I can tell you what they feel like. Um, but we're always eternal incels. <clears throat> oh right, right. No, I, I it was amazing. There was one time on um on Twitter where I guess I got into a uh, a little Twitter spat. And, uh, <laughs> The person called me an incel and I, 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 I had to explain to him like, well, I'm like, you know, that, that term would work if I wasn't married with children. Mm. Um, but for, you know, for these people, like they're, they're such, they're, they're such dum-dums where they, they think that just any insult will work, even if you're not even using it correctly. You I know, love it. Like I want to do one where, a, you see, I, it's the, the classic person who says that I imagine, you know, the classic pink haired, you know, piercings and everything mm-hmm. runs up to a, a toddler and calls them an incel. Uh, I, right. I want to do something with that, but I can't figure out how to calculate it. I'm sure. I'll, we'll I love f- being called that and stuff. Yeah. We'll figure it out off. Uh, off the, uh, <laughs> it, it, it turns out, um, I, I think the, uh, I, I'm sure the person blocked me. Um, but you know, if you guys want to scroll back, you might be able to find, uh, find the conversation because it was a mixture of the incel stuff. And then saying that I have a, that I have a small cock and it's like, we never dated. So how would you even, uh, how would you even be able to tell? And it was all this like physical stuff, like, like an attempt to do like, you know, f- like put me down, you know, mm-hmm. my physical appearance and all that. And what was funny is when you look at the person's bio, uh, she uh, referenced the fact that she had a artificial vagina, meaning that she had transitioned. Okay. And I found it, I found it, I found it quite ironic uh, that somebody who obviously had, you know, uh, dysmorphia was was fucking coming a, at me. A negative sized penis. Yeah, it was like coming at me about my physical appearance. It's like, you know, look, I, I yeah, I wish my fucking hairline wasn't where it is now, and I wish I had ab- the abs that I had fucking ten years ago. But I don't hate my body. I don't feel like I like my body doesn't belong to me. You know, 
Uh, so I thought that was, I, th- I thought that was cute on their part. Online insults, you always can tell what they are insecure about because that's usually what they come at you with. Right. But then our challenge in the comedy realm, I, I wouldn't call myself a comedian exactly, but oh, I think the, no, I think you do it very well. <clears throat> well, it's I'm not like super quick witted, put it that way. So when you talk about improv, like I wish I could do that because that would be so fun. Uh, but then you, I'm sure you guys have talked to people who were doing improv. There's the yes and. Mm-hmm. principle right so if someone starts saying things about my body it's like okay how can i yes and them right now right uh so that's i try not to argue with people but like how can i make this so much worse even if i am the butt of the joke uh i'm always trying to think of but i see i'm not i'm not super quick with it so especially like on my feet that's if i could have one magic skill that's what i would want is to be able to think of the right retort immediately I I have amazing comebacks two weeks after. Yeah, like I know exactly happens. what. To, I mean, there's still like eight year old kids from my past <laughs> that I I got just some great <laughs> comebacks ready for them, man. Or like stuff my dad said to me like ten years ago. Like I could come back and I could really nail him up on that. Uh, <laughs> See, if we invent a time machine, that's what we're doing. We don't care about world peace. Oh God, how lame! We're, we're so lame. <laughs> Or, or, you know, we go back in time and we take care of, uh, of Hitler, stop all that. So then you can include him in a, uh, in a strip on Instagram and not worry right. about it being, being taken down. Well, um, you know, I want your mustache, dude. Uh, but <laughs> <laughs> I've got a picture of my grandpa with that mustache. Oh, shit. Yeah. When I was growing up, I saw that. I'm like, wait, what's that? <laughs> Is that? And you can't do that. It's like, dude, you know, you've ruined fashion for many years because of, you know, a few big mistakes. But well, we could talk about that. Yeah. Well, it's, it's <laughs> what's interesting. What's interesting with the Hitler thing is like everybody's all about the mustache. Like, oh, you know what? You can't can't do the Hitler mustache. But then you have all these chicks walking around with like Hitler bangs. Like that's okay to have the, the same exact haircut as Hitler. But when it comes to his facial hair, no, you're screwed. You can't have a tiny, a little, you know, little little, little piece of stash. On what a damn fucking, shame. Yeah. I, I wanted I wanted to ask you about. Um, so you uh, were talking about uh using like your um current events uh, uh uh strips as a way to sell your more serious books uh, what what are some of the books that you uh that you have like how many of you uh um, have you got um well issues wise let's see i'm looking at my shelf my shit post books which are my four panel strips are up to issue 5 but i've been super behind schedule so it should be issue 8 right now wow okay um and they're about 30-something pages each. Uh, I've got a series called Mary Sue, which is up to issue five. Um, a series called Bad Dreams, which is only issue two right now. And I've had a few books, older books, throughout the years. Um, <clears throat> I had one called Paris that won an International Manga Award. And that was back in 2014, where I thought, you know, oh, I can get back into manga as a, a profession. But uh, Japanese comics, for anyone who doesn't know. Yeah, I, I was I was embarrassed to ask. <laughs> I'm sorry. Is that um, the one yeah. with the octopi with the octopuses having their way with ladies? <laughs> well, that's the problem. Is uh, a lot of there's a lot of stigma and uh, no, I don't draw that stuff. <laughs> yeah, you, you but, just draw you just draw dicks and breasts. In well, space. that's the, I want to. You see, and I get paid for it. I get paid real good. But <laughs> the problem is that kind of limits your options in the future. Like I draw children's books too. So it's oh, like, Oh, Hey is. Billy, you can, here's a book about the ABCs of morality or <laughs> Dick's batting 
tits into space. You need a, yeah, I guess you need a pen name. Oh my God. No, I know. I've thought about this for a long time, but I'm so sorry. Um, I don't want to use a pen name because I like being out in the open where people can make their mind up about me and realize like, I don't, I, as an artist or whatever, I don't know who I am and I draw because I want to see the kind of things that come out of my head so I can get to know myself better. Put it that that's one way to put it. That's a great way to put it. (laughs) And, and really I could judge myself and say that some of this stuff is fucked up, but unless I draw it, I won't know that it's there and I won't know myself. And I don't think it's embarrassing for people to see things that I'm not proud of Mm. say 10 years later. And they'd be like, oh, I can't believe you wrote a story about that. And it's like, yeah, well, that was me then. And that's just the way it is. Um, yeah. And But I, art is truth. We talked about that. Um, yeah. And, and also, yeah, I, think, I, think, I think when it comes to, to knowing yourself, too, art is artifice, too. It's, uh, you know, I think you could see some things in, in artists where it's like, ooh, there's something <laughs> hiding there that they're not, they might, right. not, they might not be ready to get to. And I think, but like, it, mm-hmm. Well, that's where you get the phrase of persona, you know, wearing a mask. It's Mm. what is the mask of and what is the mask hiding? And when you're watching a performance, you see all that right in front of you. It's like a crazy amount of data that it's like a movie where you keep watching it and you keep seeing new things. Um, Even a performance, you can see in the, the person's face, maybe like maybe they're hiding something that they don't know is there either. Yeah. But it's all part of the human thing. And that's why I love art in general is because you can see psychologically things that uh, you can't hide when you're out in the open. Uh, when I publish a book and I see things that I'm just like, wow, that that's a really horrifying image of X, Y, and Z. Uh, I, and it could be just, you know, maybe that there's a monster that used to <laughs> haunt me when I was a kid. And I, now I've drawn it. Yeah. Or, uh, yeah. Yeah. Dealing with, uh, with the dark, uh, both, you know, inside and, and outside sure. I think is, uh, is real cool. And I think you said, you said something too, that I think is admirable. The idea of, of being willing to be out there and put yourself out there. And, um, I've, I've described it sort of that I'm in a fortunate position where everything in my life is material. So like the best stuff that happens to me, and the worst stuff that happens to me, me at my best, me at my worst, me at my at my ugliest, it's all material. And I'm fortunate in that I'm I'm uh, I'm able to um, confront it, work with it, tell it. Uh, where like I know so many so many shitty people who are in um, you know lines of work or 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 they happen to be in their social in their uh, in their bubble or their neighborhood or their social setting where they have to hide who they are. And it's like, Ooh, that's gotta be a painful thing to do. Out of fear of perhaps being judged or maybe their livelihood will get ruined. Um, oh, oh yeah. I'm, I'm talking more of just shitty people. Like, cause I, oh. I, yeah, I definitely feel for people who are, who are good people, but you know, they happen to just, I guess, believe the quote unquote wrong thing on a couple of subjects and they have to keep quiet because they don't want, you know, uh, shit to happen to them. Yeah. It's, you got to have a thick skin the more that you put stuff out there and yeah. it's, 
it's scary at first to be judged, but <clears throat> well, um, something I, something I noticed on um, uh, on your IG, your, your Avi, um, your thumbnail is uh, is that a still from uh, Kurosawa? Yeah, Seven Samurai. Seven Samurai. What's um, I, I saw it years ago. Uh, obviously, one of considered one of the greatest films ever made. Uh, how does that resonate with you? Does that does that in ma- uh, manga come together somehow? <laughs> well, I'm a huge Japan fan in general. So, uh, but Kurosawa specifically, that film, that character is uh, the leader of the band of the Seven Samurai. And uh, the joke that I say is, I'm a wandering cartoonist with no master. Uh, so, historically, back in that period, a Ronin. Yeah, the the idea of a Ronin was that you used to serve a master, but he died. And it was considered super dishonorable to survive after that. You would have had to commit seppuku, but a lot of them didn't. So now you're just a wandering swordsman who you don't serve anybody except your stomach, pretty much. Mm. And this film, Sudden Samurai, takes this position of it's kind of a dishonorable thing to be a ronin to begin with. But then they're searching. Uh, this character's looking for just like food, basically ball of rice or something but the first time we meet him he saves a kid in a hostage situation puts his life on the line you know whatever kills a madman who tries to kidnap a kid and all he gets is like rice or something and then he just leaves town and the film is about a bunch of samurai helping out a bunch of farmers from bandits who are planning to raid their village and all the samurai get in exchange is food like Mm -hmm. a, a few meals and it's like what I, it's a great movie, beautiful movie. I could watch it a million times, but I love that character specifically because at the end of the movie, uh, they say something like, well, we've survived again in a sad way. Like all our friends are dead, but we've survived. So I guess we're just going to wander off to the next village now and find find another place for us to use our skills. <clears throat> and wow. I, I identify with that just because as a cartoonist, A, I love Japan. But B, I, there's the idea of I've always wanted to just make comics to make people happy. And every time I try to get a job throughout my career, something goes wrong. Uh, I lose the contract or they go out of business or something happens where I just can't make my books that I want to make. And then I see other people like me getting jobs. And I, I'm just like, what the hell's wrong with me that no one wants to work with me? I don't know what's going wrong. So anyway... Uh, I feel a bit like a Ronin right now. So that's why I have that image there. And it's a great movie. There's a bunch of different reasons. Yeah. Well, George, um, I want to thank you for coming into my village and helping to save us. Um, I, uh, I don't have rice on me, but um, we're both Jersey boys. So, you know, maybe one of these days I could, uh, um, I can get you a nice bowl of rice to thank (laughs) you. I'd love that. Or coffee's fine too. Yeah, let's do the coffee. I think I think, I think that's a little less weird than me showing up with like rice. Sushi, yeah. yeah. Um, so uh, George uh, Alexopoulos, um, you can check out his artwork, his panels over at G Prime eighty five on Instagram, and uh, they could also support your work on Patreon. Is that, is that right? Yes, sir. It's Patreon slash uh, Studio NJ is in New Jersey. Thank you so much for listening. And again, please order my book, That Joke Isn't Funny Anymore, on the death and rebirth of comedy. Just follow the link in the description or head over to Amazon and search for Lou Perez, That Joke Isn't Funny Anymore.
And please subscribe to my podcast. Leave a five-star review. Why not? Sign up for my newsletter at thelouperez.com. And if you want other ways to support my work, you can join thelouperez.locals.com. And of course, be sure to support my sponsors, palomaverdecbd.com. Use promo code LOU for 25% off purchases over $75 and Black Organic Cold Brew, B-L-V-C-K-B-R-E-W.com. Use promo code LOU for free shipping. Thank you.